began uh, this season of Lent with a look at uh, what is called in Scripture the Upper Room Discourse. Um, it's this gathering of Jesus and his disciples, which included that um, you know, famous Last Supper and, and just Jesus' last and final words to his disciples before his death. And in these heavy and emotional last hours of Jesus' life, Unfortunately, we see the disciples once again arguing with one another about who is the greatest among them. Uh, After three years of following uh, Jesus and hearing his teaching about humility and giving your life away, um, unfortunately, these guys still didn't get it um, on a lot of levels. And that that night was kind of thick with boasting and denial and betrayal. And the important thing to remember in all of that is that Jesus wasn't surprised by any of it. All right, he had hand-selected each one of those guys, uh, already knew all their flaws and warts and and all the trouble that they were going to bring, but he had chosen them as his instruments to take this gospel to the world. And so that's encouraging because I know that Jesus is not surprised by my junk either. It's no surprise when I struggle and I fail and I fall. Um, he's, still, he's still with me and believes in me. And in this, the midst of the spirit of bravado, just in case he hadn't told them enough, Scripture tells us that he showed them that the kind of leaders they were going to need to become. And, and Justin last week uh, talked about that scene where when they gather together in the upper room, uh, Jesus is the one that goes and gets the, the water basin and, and throws the servant's towel around his arm. And engaged in, this, in this, this most humble act of service you could do in their culture, which was he washed all of their dirty, stinking feet, right? These sandal wearers on these dirt roads that came in. And Jesus had a way of always turning the, the leadership paradigm upside down, right? There's no way that Caesar would do something like that in Rome. And in the Jesus way, it's just different. Then if you read ahead in John chapter 13, where we were last week, this series of kind of troubling events unfolds. Jesus identifies that Judas is going to be the one that betrays him. He, he says, we're going to look at this verse here in a minute. He's like, guys, I'm not going to be with you much longer. He says to Peter, you know, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to disown me three times. And just like a boxer who's in the ring that just takes several blows to the face in a row... The disciples are just kind of left stunned, kind of wobbling, like, man, (laughs) about ready to go down for the count. This night was not going at all how they imagined. They would have been uh, more prepared to hear uh, Jesus kind of give a rousing speech about how in the months to come, uh, they were going to be leading a revolution to overthrow Rome, like, that would have been a message they'd have been like, all right, now we're getting somewhere, right? But, but this stuff Jesus was saying had no tones of that at all. Now I want to shift gears here for just one moment. <clears throat> children, those of you that have them or been around them, especially young children, they need to be reassured, don't they? This, this common scene plays out in, in my family's life. Um, maybe we're getting ready to go somewhere, and so I'll grab our four-year-old Xavier and, and we'll go out, and I'll start buckling him in his car seat, just kind of get the process going. Okay, so I'm out in the van strapping him in. 
and mom's inside doing whatever. And inevitably, he will say to me, is mom coming? And I'll be like, yep. And then he'll say, where's mom? And I'm like, well, she's inside. And I'll, he'll say, is mom coming? Yep. And he'll say, what's taking mommy so long? And I'll say, I've been asking that question for 25 years. <laughs> and literally, if mom does not come out the door, I will hear that same line of questioning over and over and over again until I usually start to get a little tense, you know? <laughs> Haven't I answered that question thousands of times before? Um, and, you know, kids need to be reassured, right? Now, to be honest with you, if I was the one still in the house, <laughs> you know, he'd be like, why aren't we leaving? <laughs> well, we're waiting on dad. Who? So something about mom, I think, is wrapped up into that too. But I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 13, and this will all make sense. <laughs> it's page 982. John 13, verse 33, right after he, he tells uh, Judas, you know, Judas is going to be the betrayer, he says to his disciples in verse 33, my children... I will be with you only a little longer. Jesus calls these grown men my children. He understands that they need some reassurance here. That, that things are a little bit fragile in their world at this point. This is a lot to take in. And it's only going to get worse and heavier in the hours and days to come. Jesus is trying to prepare these guys to be sent out into a hostile world kind of on their own in just a few weeks. But Jesus is the only one that knows this timeline. He's the only one that knows the, the trials and the troubles and the struggles that are going to be on the horizon for these guys. And he's trying to equip them. And many times in life, we have the foreknowledge of kind of when we'll be out on our own and left to our own devices. Right, We have these natural kind of landmarks in life that are kind of like, yeah, we kind of see this coming. Right, You graduate from high school, and, and you're either going to be going to college or maybe to the military or into the workforce, but you understand there's going to be this increased amount of, of expectations and, and accountability. And if you, you know, maybe kind of choose the college track, you understand that like, graduation's going to come, and, and mom and dad are going to drop you from the insurance and the cell phone bill or whatever else, you know, they might be helping you out with. Maybe some of you guys didn't get that help, and, you know, that's your own family story. We're not going to go there. But at some point you realize, I'm going to be out on my own and paying for this stuff. Like, you see it coming, okay? Or maybe you're, you're engaged, and you see this wedding date, and you know, you know, as of whatever, June 20th, like, I've got to start providing for my spouse. Like, you can see it coming. You can plan ahead for it. You know, it's easier to do that when you see the deadline coming. But what about those times in your life where the rug just gets pulled out from underneath you and you're not expecting it at all? And then the question becomes, well, have you, have you been listening? Have you been watching? Have you been uh, practicing and applying these instructions that hopefully a parent or a mentor might have been giving you along the way? to help you navigate life and help you survive. 
So this was kind of the unexpected challenge that these disciples were facing. They didn't know well enough that the rug was about ready to be pulled out. And so Jesus is is trying to give them kind of reminder after reminder on this last night together. And then as if Jesus is kind of reading their minds, he says this in chapter 14, verse 1, if you can skip down to that. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So after he said, my children, is when we have the scene of where he's, he's telling Peter, you're going to disown me three times before tomorrow morning. And then he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Even you, Peter. Even you. And, you know, we have to wonder, because he makes it sound like that we have some kind of measure of control over how much we allow our hearts to be troubled, doesn't he? He says, don't let it be troubled. Well, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Especially for you worry warts out there, right? So why do we worry? I mean, because a lot of us, especially that have been around the church for a while or been in your Bible, you, you know the verses. Do not be anxious about anything, right? Don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough trouble of its own. I mean, you can quote them. So why do we still worry? I'm asking you. Yes. Because we don't trust the outcome. outcome. Maybe because because we have a predisposed outcome of what we'd like it to be. Yeah. Yeah. We worry that it might not work out according to our plan, Mm -hmm. our good and perfect plan, right? (laughs) Yeah. We still think we can control some of it or we'd like to. Yeah. Why else do you worry when God's made it very clear not to do that? Yeah, Gary. We feel responsible for the outcome. So something that is going to happen that's not, not the way you wanted it, and we think that we've got to have a plan okay. to deal with it. Yeah, we might feel responsible for the outcome. That's a good one. Yeah, Nick? Fear? Fear of what? Krypton? <laughs> this new child coming to Wellspring? Typically, it's just some sort of harm to myself or to people I love. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like what he said. Like, if I know the outcome, the inevitability of it's going to drive me crazy. Like, if I know it's negative, like I did something, that's the outcome. Yeah, worrying about this outcome when you have a sense that it's probably not going to go well. or Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of different reasons, right? <clears throat> I honestly think that, that that command, do not let your heart be troubled, might be one of the most difficult commands in Scripture to obey. I mean, yeah, don't lie, don't kill people, whatever, but don't worry. Now, there's one, right, <laughs> that we struggle with. It's tough. Mm. And, and, and so how do we avoid it? How do we avoid it? When we look around and we see so much hurt, and so much pain, and, and potential pain kind of around every conceivable corner, how do we avoid it? What did Jesus say in verse 1? He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, believe in me. 
If you skip ahead to verse 11, he starts that verse with the same phrase, believe in me. That's the magic bullet. Thanks for the tip, Jesus, right? (laughs) Believe in me. Like, is that all you got? Is that it? Why? Why believe in him? Jesus is like, guys, I'm trustworthy. I got you taken care of. And Jesus knows that his followers are kind of controlled by the thing that, that the things that we kind of lock our gaze in on. And so in verses two and three, he tries to take us, the disciples, from kind of this temporal, overwhelming feeling of trouble, and he tries to kind of lift their eyes up. Okay, notice what he does here. He kind of switches course. Verse two, he says, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He says it twice. And he's saying to them, guys, not only is this whole me leaving thing about you, but I'm coming back to get you. Do you know that for every one verse in Scripture about the first coming of Jesus, Bethlehem, baby being born, all that, there are eight verses about Jesus' second coming. For every one verse about his first coming, there's eight verses about his second coming. So this promise of future provision is, is very important for us to understand. And then he adds this in verse 4. He says to them, Guys, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? (laughs) Jesus says, guys, you know the way. Thomas is like, no, we don't. What are you talking about? And, and, And I'm not even really sure how Thomas could make a statement like this. Because on several occasions in Scripture, Jesus has told them, I have to go to Jerusalem and die. I can't be any more clear than that, right? This is God's plan. This is where we're heading. This is what I'm doing. This is not new information. Thomas just hadn't been forced to kind of put it into practice yet in his life. Kind of the use it or lose it mentality, right? If I read an instruction manual about building a model airplane, but I never build a model airplane... It's going to be disconnected from reality, right? I actually, at some point, have to go and build it to kind of learn this information that I've read about. Same thing. It's like, guys, you're going to have to put into practice the stuff I've been telling you. Verse 6, Jesus answered him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the way. You know the way. It's right here. This is not going to be a go down the belt and turn right at Walmart kind of journey. The way to life, the way to truth is through a person, not a place. 
And Jesus, as he said on several other occasions, he, he uses these metaphors. He says, in other parts of Scripture, he says, I'm the, the door, I am the gate, I am the way, the only way. No one comes to the Father but through me. Why is Jesus the way? Why is he the way? Because in order to be with God, our sins had to be paid for. God's wrath had to be satisfied by the blood of an innocent lamb. Those of you guys that don't know, in the Old Testament before Jesus, in order for people's sins in Israel to be forgiven, they had to get a pure and spotless lamb, perfect. That had to be their sacrifice. And so when Jesus comes on the scene as an adult and John the Baptist sees him walking up, he says, look, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John is saying, there's the lamb, the final lamb, the perfect, the only perfect human that could pay for your and I's sin. There he is. Behold. And over the next three days, that way was going to be complete. And in this pluralistic world that we live in now, guys, it's really important that you understand that it's Christ alone. It's Christ alone. He is the only one that paid for you and I. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not our own good deeds. Only the sacrificial death of Jesus made a way for our life to be redeemed. If there could be many ways to get to heaven, then why did Jesus die? What's the point of that? Jesus even went to God, the Father, the night before he was going to be killed, and he said, God, if there's any other way for you to accomplish, like paying for the whole sin of the whole world, I'd like to sign up for that plan right now. (laughs) Is there another way? And God's silence let him know, no, this is it. My son, you have to die. Jesus had to lay down his life so that others might live. And that's really good news for us. Because it means it's not on us to get the job done. It's not on us to do it. We don't have to worry, like a lot of people in a lot of other parts in the world and their religions do, have I done enough to earn God's favor by my good deeds? We can rest in the provision that Christ was enough to cancel our sin, that he's enough for our brokenness. Now, some of us this morning might be thinking, well, that's all good and well, Jesus. But some of those promises seem a ways off. This stuff is great for when we die or Jesus comes back, whichever comes first. But that doesn't feel like enough for me right now. I need some relief in this moment. I'm troubled. I'm troubled because of my marriage or my career or my health or my finances or my children's choices or my relationships. Some or all of those are kind of unraveling right now. And I can't help but wonder, where are you? And some of the disciples were thinking the same thing. Let's look at verse 8. 
Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Philip is basically saying, is God near now? I mean, all that stuff about the future and you're going to take us up to some special room and all that stuff, that sounds great. But is he here now? Is he with us? If we could just see God with our own eyes, then we could trust him for the promises of the future provision. And Jesus, look at how he replies in verse 9. Jesus answered him, don't you know me? Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus gives Philip kind of this gentle rebuke. (laughs) How long had he been following Jesus around? I mean, it had been like three years, right? And Jesus looks at Philip and is like, man, don't you know me? If you did, you would know that when you see me, you've seen the Father. We're one and the same. So let's just make this a little bit more personal. How long have you been walking with Christ? What have you seen him do in your own life? What have you seen him do in the lives of other people that you intimately know? They used to be this way and now they're a different person. What have you seen him do in the world around you? The explosion in in so many continents in our world right now, people coming to know Christ. Jesus says, if nothing else, believe in the works that you've seen. Hmm. Is he enough to satisfy you? Or does life have to turn out the way you want it to in order to be content? Jesus laid down his life to rescue us from sin and death. He gave us this unmerited grace, love, freedom. And he says, all you have to do is just believe and receive it. Guys, what else do you want? What else do you want? And in so many words, in, in, in counseling conversations, I hear people say to me, I just want life to be right. I want it to be good. I want it to be the way it should be, the way that I imagined life would be. I want it to be what I feel like I deserve. And guys, Jesus says to us, that's called heaven, not earth. And while you're here, this place is a mess. It's a mess because of all of you (laughs) and me. And no matter how much control we think we have, it's going to continue to be a mess until Jesus comes back and makes it all right. And that's why he made us this promise, in this world, there will be trouble. Don't be surprised. 
at the trials that you're going through as if something crazy were happening. So stop grasping for perfection here. It's not going to happen. But I am enough to walk with you through whatever brokenness you're dealing with because I alone can satisfy you. And, and when you read this passage of Scripture we're looking at today, you see every few verses Jesus like just takes it, whips us around in different ways, and he kind of twists the conversation around again starting in verse 12. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask uh, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Why do you think he throws these last few verses in there? What's the point of verses 12 through 14? Any ideas? Y'all are like, didn't we pay you to sit around and figure that out all week? Why are you asking us? Because I like to make you think. That's why. What do you think? Why does it end like this? Yes, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. So you guys don't have to answer anymore because Matt got it right. Okay? So thank him later. Right? Yeah. He says, guys, listen, you can, you can keep your eyes down here if you want on how hard this is going to be and how much trouble this world is and all this stuff. But he's like, guys, you've got to lift your eyes up and see who you are, what you're capable of with me in your life, you can kind of keep your eyes off the mess a little bit here. In essence, he's saying, guys, you have no idea how good things are going to be after I leave. Don't settle for Rome being overthrown. I'm talking about changing people's hearts for eternity. And Jesus says the same thing to us. Don't settle for your Credit card debt being paid off. Sorry, DJ. <laughs> you know, don't settle for this relationship that's kind of contentious. Maybe you guys having this great union. That's great if everything works out. And don't settle for, you know, getting the promotion at work you always wanted and thinking, oh, now I can rest. It's like God, God's about doing something much bigger than this. Don't settle for that. I'm talking about stuff you've never seen or imagined, and I'm going to use you to do these things. And he's telling, telling these guys, you guys are going to be the driving force of this thing. After Jesus' resurrection, Peter gives his first sermon, and more people come to Christ that day than had come to Christ the whole time Jesus himself was preaching. The guy that disowned him and failed him is the leading evangelist in the world now. 
And as I was finishing up this message, this verse kind of popped in my head that kind of started making me think. Now, we've been talking about this upper room discourse, which happens on the last night of Jesus' life, the night before he dies. But if you rewind the tape to the beginning of the week, right, it's, it's, a, it's the season of Passover, this, this religious festival, and Jewish pilgrims from all over the, the middle, middle East, middle part of the world, are coming to Jerusalem. And so the streets are just swollen with people. And Jesus comes riding into town on a donkey, right, to fulfill scripture. And the streets are lined with people. His popularity has never been more, more high, right? He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And so people are like, wow, this is the guy. And they're shouting his praises and throwing palm branches out for him to ride his donkey on. And, and in the midst of that, what people call the triumphal entry, the Pharisees even kind of use this exaggerated statement, the whole world is going after Jesus, all right, which is kind of what it seemed like. And we've been in John 13 and 14 today, but back in John 12, 27, Jesus said this, now my heart is troubled. Well, now wait a minute. Didn't he just tell the disciples to don't let your heart be troubled? <laughs> this is some kind of a double standard here. But as I thought about it, it was a completely different perspective. Jesus was troubled with the crowd because he knew that they were just waiting around for the next miracle. That they weren't really that interested in laying their life down and serving anybody else. They just wanted to be entertained. Or at least to have their present circumstances changed. And that short-sighted and self-centered perspective troubled Jesus' heart. He was sad for them. Sad for so many in this world. Sad for some people in here this morning. That really just kind of want to use Jesus for their own purposes. It wasn't about worry and anxiety as we see it. But he was, it was about being disappointed in people that still didn't get it. So a couple of questions as we go this morning. I'm going to put them up on the screen. At least the first one here we'll start with. When we yield to worry, trouble, and our hearts become troubled, where does it take our focus and attention? I want you to think about when you tend to engage in those activities, where does it take your focus and attention, and is it any place good? Anything good come from that? Anything redeeming? Secondly, are our hearts troubled about the right things? Do we spend our time focusing on, praying about, giving to things that matter most to God? Or are we overly focused on our own problems and issues, many of which are temporary in nature, struggling to believe that God is enough for us? You see, Jesus was trying to shape their hearts to care about the right things. 
he was saying, guys, <laughs> these next few hours are going to be an absolute mess. And it's going to look like chaos, and it's going to look like defeat. But I'm telling you, there's a bigger picture going on here. There's a bigger picture going on in your life than the current struggles you're dealing with. And it's going to be okay in the end. And what I need you guys to focus on is some of the awesome stuff that's going to come on the other side of the resurrection and how you're going to be a part of that and the role that I want you to play in the midst of that. And Matt hit it on the head today, and I'll just like give you 10 bucks after the service or something. But, but he said exactly how I want to conclude this morning, guys, is that our role as followers of Christ, first of all, is to live in community and to be a part of a church body. But in the midst of that, it's to come alongside folks who are allowing their hearts to be troubled and overwhelmed and their gaze is here on the temporal things of this world and to come alongside them and, and to lift their eyes up and say, hey, there's something bigger going on here. I don't know what it is. I don't know what God wants to teach you through this, but he's going to accomplish something in you. He's going to take this trouble and he's going to redeem it for something good, but I got you to, I got you to get your eyes up and your heart opens so you can, you can be ready to see it and step into it and know the hope that's on the other side of this, maybe in this life, maybe in the next. Either way, I'm victorious, right? Yes, I had to go to the cross, but I also was raised from the dead, and I'm on the throne now. And our role as followers of Christ is to come alongside folks that are just struggling to do that and say, hey, lift your eyes up. Lift them up. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word today. We thank you, God, that you were able to enter into this really troubling time where things were really confusing. And God, we've had some of those moments in our life. We've had moments where it feels like the rug just gets pulled out from under us and, and something that we weren't prepared for comes upon us. Maybe it's a, a change in our career situation, our financial situation, a relationship, a a death in the family, whatever it might be, God. Those times are inevitable. And who are we going to be in those moments? Where are we going to allow our gaze to be fixed? We can allow the trouble and the worry to, to swamp us and, and render us pretty much useless, of no good to anyone. Or we can lift our eyes up to you. A savior who says, believe in me, and who followed through on everything he said he was going to do. He's so trustworthy. God, help us to trust you. <laughs> help us to let go of this illusion of control that we think we can have. To really put our hope in something that's, that's eternal. Father, teach us the, the posture that we need to have during this time. Help us to look around right now in our life. Whose who's heart's troubled? Who can we encourage? Whose spirits can we lift up? And whose who's life can we speak hope into? Hope that's on the other side of this valley that they're in right now. Help us to remind people who they are, who God is, how he wants to use them in the midst of their story. God, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness to us.
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand as we close today?